0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Preach, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Barker with this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles if you haven't already, Judges chapter 16. We're going to finish the story in about a four week series on Samson. Now, today is the apex story. Everybody knows the story of Samson and Delilah. This is, if you say, hey, tell me the story of Samson, you don't talk about chapter 13, 14, and 15. You go straight to chapter 16, because this is where the magic happens, so to speak. And the the, the struggle with this passage is that there are so many different things that I want to bring out in the passage, but we have 30 minutes. There are so many different lessons we can learn, and there are so many things that God can teach us through this, But let's not forget that any passage of Scripture is a well. It's a bottomless well. You will likely never get to the bottom of any passage of Scripture. That's how you can read the story over and over and over. And then after your 200th time, go, wow, I've never seen that before. That's the beauty of the Word of God. But in Judges chapter 17, where we left off last week, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. This is a PG sermon, I promise. But sometimes the Bible doesn't hold any punches, right? Sometimes the Bible's like, let me just tell you what man is like. So here Samson had a victory in chapter 15. And here Samson was was doing the work of the Lord even though his heart was not pure, even though he was not fully following his Nazarite vow. And the first thing he does after this victory is he goes and, and he indulges the flesh. Now... Anybody identify with that? Right, we don't want to raise our hands, but the truth is, that's who we are in a lot of, in a lot of our life. And have you ever said this, this phrase, God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I said that. We never get over the flesh. Now, we wrestle with it. We put to death the, the deeds of the flesh. We, we are always dealing with it, But you will never get to the point where the flesh is not an issue in your life. Because as long as you're living and breathing and walking on this earth, there is an enemy and he comes to steal and kill and to destroy. And so your flesh will always be chomping at your heels. That is why you and I every single day have got to rely upon the grace of God and upon God's presence in our life. That's why he's placed the Holy Spirit inside of us. So that we can wrestle with the flesh. And so... The, the, basically he, he goes and he sees this woman and then at night the, uh, the men of the city are waiting at the city gate to, to ambush him except he gets up before they were expecting him he goes down and he grabs the gates of the city and he marches up, up on top of a hill and he sits them down as a way of saying defiantly you can't hold me you do not have any power over me I am Samson and then the very next verse chapter 4 sometime later He fell in love with a woman named Delilah. The message title today is this, The Scent of a Woman. Go ahead and laugh. Can we turn the house lights up just a bit more, please? The Scent of a Woman. But now, I need you to understand, this is not about good man, bad woman. This is not what it's about. Because really, the truth is, Samson's the one who is the biggest offender here, right? Samson's the guy who all of this story is, is really resting on. And the truth is, we could flip that story and say the scent of a man. So one of the overarching themes of chapter 16 is how quickly a man or a woman will leave their character, will leave their integrity, will leave their morals, will leave their values, will leave their faith when they see a man or a woman that they suddenly want. You've seen it, and I've seen it, haven't you? You got a person who's walking with the Lord. They're faithful. Their 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 words are right. Their heart is right. And out of nowhere, this beautiful woman walks by, and they're like, Ugh. right, and and it's like and it's like nothing in their life had ever gone right. Their entire focus is on this person, this woman, or for a, for a girl, you've seen it the same way. This guy just walks in like Romeo and just knocks her off her off off her feet, and again this is not about a guy and a girl this is about the desire of a man or the desire of a woman for that relationship for that attraction and what it will do to a person the danger in making a person have that kind of position in your life is that they will never be able to satisfy you the way in your mind you think they will satisfy you amen They will never be able to take the place of God in your life. You can marry them. You can date them. You can do whatever. But they will never be able to fulfill that which only God can fulfill. And it's especially complicated when it's the flesh that is wanting the relationship. So... As we, I'm going to read through this story, and as we read it, I want you to just kind of, kind of hang your, your thoughts on a few of the different themes here. Verse four. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Elilah, who lived in the Soric Valley. That was on the southern part of, of uh, down by the Philistine camp. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, "Persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from, so we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless." Each one of us will give you 100, 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me, where does your great strength come from? How could someone tie you up and make you helpless? Samson told her, If they tie me up with seven fresh bow strings that have, that have not been tried, I will become weak and like any other man. The Philistine leaders brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. While the men in ambush were were waiting in her room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of yarn snaps when it touches fire. The secret of his strength remained unknown. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have mocked me and told me lies. Won't you please tell me how you can be tied up? He told her, If they tie me up with new ropes that have never been used, I will become weak and like any other man. Delilah took new ropes, tied him up with him, and shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. But while the men in ambush were waiting in her room, he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have mocked me all along and told me lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. And he told her, If you weave the seven braids on my head into the fabric of a loom, so she fastened the braids with the pen and called to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. He awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pen with the loom and the web. So let's stop right here. Just kind of put a place mark. Now, if you first read this or if you read this without really understanding it, you'll be tempted to think this very question. How could Samson be so stupid? Anybody thought that? That's my first thought. Like, dude, she's right there in front of you. It's a trap, Right? But it's because we don't have the, 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 the timeline given here. The way we read it is as if he is at the house and she says, Hey, how can you be deceived? And he tells her and then he breaks the ropes. The Philistines come out. They're like, Surprise! And he beats them up and then it didn't work. And so the very next day, this is, So we're thinking that this is three days. It's not three days. This is over a period of time. And, and, it's, and it's never said that the Philistines revealed themselves and ambushed him. It says that while they were hiding, and, and then it never says, oh, they came out and he whooped them. I kind of feel like if they, he would have whooped them, they would have said, the Bible would have said, he whooped them, right? So what's going on? Delilah is most likely a prostitute. We don't know that for certain, but based on the context of the story, we know that he just visited a prostitute. We know that she probably was a prostitute. She probably was a Philistine, although she might not have been. But either way, the Philistines went to her and said, Hey, we have a trap that we want to set for Samson. So if you'll find out what it is that gives him his great strength, we will pay you 1,100 pieces of silver each. Now, in Delilah's mind, she's thinking, This is retirement, right? Right? We don't know how many Philistines were there but there was more than one because it says 1,100 pieces of silver each. So she's doing the math and she's thinking, all I got to do is get I, if I know anything, I can get a man to talk, right? I can get him to say something that I, I if I just work hard enough she, he will tell me his his secrets. And so in this story it's probably that Deli, that Samson comes and visits her. Now again, this is a PG, it's not really a PG story, but we're going to try to keep it PG. But how do you think Delilah would have been acting towards Samson? She would have been seducing him. It would have been extremely sensual, right? Because think about it. Samson's weakness was his attraction to the ladies. And we all know that if you want to get anything out of a man, all you have to do is tap into that part of his brain. Am I okay here? Is this true or not true? Guys, men, that ought to scare you to death. Listen, it ought to scare you to death like it scares me to death. That somehow we have have this wiring that would cause us to do the stupidest things when we are tempted by a woman. Again, that is in no way diminishing a woman. That is in no way pejorative towards a woman. In no way it's not about the woman. It's about the man. It's about his own weakness that somehow he can turn from genius to moron in a matter of seconds. If you don't believe that, just turn on the news. I mean, I know a particular golfer, right? Right? Moron to genius, or genius to moron, right? I know a particular preacher, plural, preachers, genius, I mean, every sector of society, every place on earth, you go from everything is right to I have this attraction and I'm willing to sell everything in my life for it. Men and women, we ought to be very aware of the fragility of our own Um, attractions towards people. I hope I said that right. We ought to be very aware that the schemes of the enemy are to use this very thing to entrap us, to imprison us, and then to kill us. my, My uncle used to say, of course, it was from his perspective, when you turn out the lights, every woman's exactly the same. And what he was meaning by it is this, is we will often look across the room and go, oh, if I could just have her. We get dissatisfied with who we have. We're like, if I could just, oh, she's beautiful, whatever. And yet, when you finally have that person, oftentimes you have to step across a whole lot of boundaries and barriers to do it. You realize, you know what? The grass is not greener on the other side. As they say, you know why the grass does look greener on the other side? Because it's over a septic tank. I'll just let that rest with you for a little while. So he asked her, or she asked him the first time, tell me the, and it would have been, Samson, I'm not going to try to seduce you, Samson. Right? She would have been dancing around the room and whatever and, she was just trying to bait it out of him. and So here's his mistake. He toys with the temptation. He wants, he wants the, the, the pleasure of Delilah more than he wants the righteousness of God. And so he dances around temptation thinking that everything's going to be okay. Because he'll only get close enough to get what he wants... But it'll stay far enough to not be trapped. Do you see what he's doing here? He tells her, he, tells her, he says, Well, I'll tell you what happens. If you tie me with seven new, fresh bowstrings, right? Bowstring is what you would use to put on a, a bow for an archery. Seven fresh. So she gets them. While he's sleeping, she ties him up. And then she's like, She looks at the guys in the closet. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He jumps up. Woo! The guys in the closet are probably going, uh oh, we're in trouble. Shh. Don't sneeze, right? I mean, they're they're really worried about this. And she's like, You deceived me, you lied to me. And we presume he would have left, and then they would have left as well. Then he would have come back a night or two or a week later, and she does the same thing. Samson, how can you how can you be tied up? What's the secret to your strength? We have to remember that the Bible doesn't give us every single word that's said. Because if it did, the Bible would be like this big, right? Imagine carrying your Bible to school if it were every word that was ever said. You'd have to pull it in a trailer. So it's the idea that she's trying to get this out of him. She does it three different times. On the third time, where we just left off in verse 14, on the third time she fastened him with the, the braids and the pen, he awoke, and he pulled the pin. and then she said in verse 15, how can you say, I love you? Oh, the manipulation is thick, right? Because in, in chapter 16, verse 4, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman. So he made it known that he was infatuated with her. He said, I love you. Oh, I love you more than I've ever loved anything else. And she took that and she played on it. And then she came back in verse 15 and said, How can you dare say you love me when your heart is not with me? This is the third time you've mocked me and have not told me what makes your strength so great. And then the linchpin, verse 16. Because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out, he told her the whole truth. There's a story in that one. She nagged him. Day, here's what the New King James Version says. Because she vexed him to death. She went on and on. So this could have been a week. This could have been a couple of weeks. But that's all she ever talked about. He was vexed to death. He was so sick and tired of hearing about this. And I suspect, now, again, I'm just I'm just thinking how this story would play out if it were me Huber, on on Samson's. In Samson's shoes, she probably was withholding affection and she was constantly, I'm not tired, and then finally she's like, okay, I'll tell you. Whatever you want, I'll tell you. Listen, we will trade our birthright for a bowl of soup when we think the bowl of soup is our greatest need. You remember Jacob and Esau, the story in the Bible? In Genesis, Jacob and Esau, Jacob was the cook. He was the mama's boy. Esau was the hunter. The hunter came back and was famished, and he was hungry. Jacob said, give me your birthright. And Esau said, what good is my birthright if I die of starvation? I'll make that trade. He traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. World's worst trade, right? But you and I do it all the time we will trade something that we think is so important for something that really has no value whatsoever and you and i know it after the trade don't we we know it instantly after the trade so how do you keep from doing that you keep from doing that by remaining filled with the spirit by by walking in the spirit by letting God control your thoughts and your actions. And by being aware of how the enemy truly moves. The way he moves is deceitfully. He doesn't jump out in front of you and say, I'm the devil and I'm here to deceive you. No. He's like Delilah. He's, he's slick. He's, he's tantalizing. I can use that word. That's just what game. You know what I mean though? He's like, he like dangles it and he just kind of. Kind of moves around, and eventually, he's got you. Samson tells the truth, and she knew that he told the truth, verse 18. And then he, she sent this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her, brought the silver with them, made the payment. So it was a hit, is what it was. It was a mafia hit. Verse 19, then she let him fall asleep in her lap. Just picture this. She's sitting on the chair. She's sitting on the bed. And he's laying over with his head in her lap. And she's kind of caressing his hair and just whispering into her ears. And he's thinking to himself, this is the life. This is what I've always wanted. I feel a connection. You complete me. That's what he was saying, right? That's where that phrase comes from. It's in the Hebrew. You Okay, maybe not. And as she's stroking his hair, he falls asleep and she whispers to the man who's been prearranged. So the man comes in and shaves his head. And then the Bible says a very sad thing. She then cried, verse 20, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he jumped up and he said, I will escape as I did before. In other words... I've never had a problem with this. She's done this before, but I'm good. I'm Samson. His pride led to his fall. He thought he wasn't going to be caught. He thought it was never going to catch up to him. He thought that it was going to be just like every other time. But listen to what the scripture says. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That's the saddest verse in this whole Bible story. He didn't know the Lord had left him. You know, it's possible for us to take that one last step and the Lord can leave us. Now listen, in our context, I'm not talking about leave us meaning you're no longer a a, a Christian. I'm not talking about, he goes, oh, I'm revoking your salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. It is possible, though, for a follower of Jesus to get to the point of rebellion in such a way that God says, I'm removing my spirit from you. I'm removing my blessing from you. I'm removing my favor from you. You're on your own. That is the scariest place you and I could possibly be because we think that God is with us, but in fact, God has left us on our own. Go back in Scripture and see how many times that actually happens. Here's the deal, though. When he got up to start fighting, he was fighting in his own strength rather than in the strength that God was providing. And in verse 21, the Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes. This is the beginning of his own destruction. They seized him. You want to talk about shock. Imagine being Samson, right? And I'm just just thinking that this guy was stacked like a washboard stomach, right? You know, he had a he had a six pack. I I, I have a, a two liter. It's just I'm I'm working. I'm just you know baby steps. Just baby steps, right? I know some people they have a keg, so I'm not even. So <laughs> that was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> Y'all are looking going. Is that me? She's talking about me? So man, what was I saying? Dang. So. Imagine, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he's stout, and all of a sudden, all of his strength is gone. So he looks strong, but he's not. He looks spiritual, but he's not. Think of the parallels here. A person who has everything looking right on the outside, but the inside is all messed up. And if we're not reminded yet, we need to be reminded that it is not by our own strength or will or perfection that God does stuff in us. It's because of His Spirit and His purpose and His plan. And at any moment, we could blow it all. You have the ability to blow it when it comes to God's power working through you. Disobedience and disobedience and disobedience. At some point, God may say, all right you're on your own. He is seized and then they gouge out his eyes. Now imagine the brutality of this. Remember, they're angry because of all the things that he did to their people, not the least of which, the last thing was he took foxes and he took 300 foxes, tied them together in pairs and then tied a a, a torch to their tails and then set them out to where it burned all of their grain, all of their food, all of their trading power, their commerce, their their ability to go day to day and function in, in, in the world. And all of that anger for doing that would have been taken out while they captured him, while they gouged out his eyes. The brutality of this could not be overstated. To gouge out someone's eyes most likely was to take a sharpened stick and just... Oh, could you imagine the pain of that? Could you imagine the humility of that? Especially knowing that it wasn't not too long prior that he reached down and grabbed a donkey's jawbone and he killed a thousand men. With one jawbone of a donkey. Now he is being laid out and his eyes gouged out. And then they put bronze shackles on him. And then he was forced to grind grain in the prison. What does this mean? He was forced to go into the grain mill and there would have been a giant stone that would have normally been moved by animals, oxen or or slaves... This was the bottom of the barrel. This was physical hard labor. And all day and all night, he was pushing this stone, blind. The blood and the the dirt and the muck would have been stained all the way down his face. His body would have been uh, um, just bruised from them tackling him. And, And it would not be reasonable to think that they didn't get enough blows in just in retaliation for what he had done. This was a man who was physically beaten And broken, and yet his lot was to push this stone. But this next verse is amazing. Listen to what the very next verse says. If I can find it with my eyes. Thank you. 22. But his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. This is the redemptive part of the story. His hair began to grow back. And nobody noticed it because they were gloating over the fact that Samson was now grinding grain. That Samson was now a weakling who could not see. And so God began to restore Samson. I think that what happened was while Samson was in this grinding uh, mill, he was recalling all of his past. And he was thinking of all that he had lost. And he was remembering how his parents told him when he was a little boy, you have been called, set apart, consecrated by God from before you were born to be a Nazarite. Which means you are to be set apart for the work of God. And you are going to be a judge for the to the Philistines for the Israelites. You will be God's chosen instrument. And I think he was playing this story over and over in his mind. And I think somewhere in that grinding mill, he repented and said, oh God, what have I done? Oh God, how far have I fallen? God, I I, I imagine in the New Testament, it's the same thing when the the son who left his father, because the son said to the father, Father, give me my inheritance. And he gets all of his inheritance and he goes and he spends it all. And then there's a famine and he finds himself with nothing. And so the only job he can get is in a pigsty, feeding the pigs. And he says, the Bible says in that passage that, that he came to his senses and he said to himself, my father's servants are eating better than I'm eating. He realizes how broken and how far from God he really was. I think that's what was going on with Samson. I think Samson in that mill repented. And I don't even know if Samson knew it. Actually, I don't know that he would have, but he certainly couldn't have seen it. He might have could feel it. But the Lord was restoring his hair. What a picture. Listen, Samson did not deserve a second chance. As far as I'm concerned... From the human perspective, he had gone too far for God to be willing to say, you know what, yeah, I'm going I'm I'm to forgive you. I mean, maybe, maybe in chapter 15, God could have done that. Maybe in chapter 13 or chapter 12. But in chapter 16, he was the most offensive, self-centered person you could possibly imagine. And yet God still forgave him. Listen, there's nothing you can do. There's no distance you can run. There's no sin you can commit that will cause you to be outside the reaches of the long arm of the grace of God. In fact, I want to say to you that nothing pleases the heart of God more than when a vile, disgusting, broken, abandoned, abused, everything in life has gone to trash person says, Father, I've got nothing but I need you. That's when the heart of a father comes out and he says, I see you in your brokenness and I never wanted you to be here. Listen, it was not God's plan for him to be there. It was not God's plan for Samson to go through all of this junk. It was God's plan for Samson to walk rightly and wholly with the Lord. But even when we get outside of what God desires for us, when we turn our eyes to the Father, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just, not only to forgive us our sin, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the love of our great God. I dare you to find any other faith system in the world that has that kind of a God. You won't find it. Every other faith system in the world is man trying to earn favor with God. Man trying to meet the standards of their God. Only in Christianity has God met the standards in himself so that you and I could be reconciled. That's what the cross was all about. That's what the resurrection was all about. Samson, in that grinding mill, had a change of heart. There's no doubt in my mind, he repented. And he said, Father, never thought I'd find myself in this place. And I think he was beginning to pray, Lord, if you could use me one more time. I want to go out the right way. I want to go out bringing honor to you. God, don't let my legacy be this failure. The very next scene that we have is that the Philistines... Verse 25, or Philistines had gathered together and they were they were singing songs about how their God Dagon had handed uh, their enemy over. By the way, Dagon, the God they were worshiping, was the grain God. You see the the symmetry here? The grain god was the one that they were worshiping because they were saying, We worship the grain god who's taken vengeance on Samson and his God. This really was a battle of the gods, if you will. It really was a spiritual thing. And so while they were in good spirits, verse 25, they said, Bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison and he entertained them. They had had him stand between the pillars. Now we don't know what he did to entertain them, but apparently it was a pretty good show. You know, I don't know if he was like the court jester or. But as he entertained them, 3,000 men and women had gathered around to look. They were celebrating the defeat of Samson and they were worshiping this false god Dagon, yet they had no idea that there is one true God who is about to bring justice to all of them. Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, verse 26, Lead me where I can feel the pillar supporting the temple so I can lean against them. And the temple was full of men and women. The leaders of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. And he called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just one more time. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two pillars supporting the temple and leaned against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might, and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it, and those he killed in his death were more than those he had killed in his life. It just dawned on me. Now, I'm not going to say this is... This is what's going on here, but it just dawned on me what the picture of this is. Can I just show it to you? Now, I don't know if that's 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 in any way referencing the coming redemption through the cross or not, but it is rather interesting, isn't it, that the way that Samson... Um, um, brought about this justice and, and, and canceled the issue that was going on was he stretched out his arms right and left. I just find that interesting. By the way, I forgot to mention that when, when Samson's hair started growing back, what God was doing was actually what was already required in Numbers chapter 6 where the command of how to be a, 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 a Nazarite was given. So a Nazarite, back in Numbers chapter 6, if he had taken a vow of consecration and and through his period of time he he touched a dead body, he was to shave his head and start over. And after shaving his head, a new period of consecration would begin. Oh, the mercy of God. Do you see how beautiful that is? God was absolutely saying, Samson, I'm going to give you another chance. God is a God of second chances. He pushed with all his might. He killed more in his death than he had killed in all his life. Verse 31, then the brothers and all the father's family came down. So what happened was this story went throughout all of the cities and towns and villages for miles around. You're not going to believe what Samson did. The God of Dachon was defeated by the God of Samson. You can believe this. God will always, always, always come out on top. Because remember, God doesn't have an adversary. Remember, the devil is not God's adversary. They're not on an equal plane. You have God who is God of all gods, Lord of all lords, and then down below that you have the devil. The devil was created by God. He was not created as the devil. He was created Lucifer, but you get the point, right? So, so God has no enemies. He only has those who are against him, but he has nobody who could actually go head to head with him. That ought to change everything in your life. It ought to remind you when the scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That really, truly means if God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Here's what's beautiful about this ending. Brothers and all the father's family came back. They carried him back between Zorah and Eshtaol, in the tomb of his father Manoah. And so he had judged Israel 20 years. If you go back a couple chapters in chapter 13, verse 25, listen to this. Then the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson in the camp of Dan. Where? Between Zorah and Eshtaol. The reason the scripture puts that in there is to remind us that God is a redemptive God. Samson is buried where the Spirit of the Lord first came upon him. A way of the Bible telling us, listen, you may not be restored back to your initial influence. You may not be restored back to your initial position. But if you will humble yourself before the Lord, he will restore you back to your initial relationship. Which is far more important than all those other things. God is good, isn't he? What a God. I hope today, you know, I was talking to somebody recently. My goal in preaching is not knowledge. I don't want you to leave here going, man, I learned a bunch of stuff. Because knowledge without love is just a clanging cymbal. What I want you to leave here every week with is love. I want you to love God more deeply. And I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you know what? I love them more deeply. Because because love is the most important thing that we could possibly have. It's what Jesus said is the most important. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. Not know about God. Love God. And the second one is like it love your neighbor. Now listen, to really love God, you do need to know God. So we're not downplaying knowledge. We want knowledge. But knowledge without love is pride. Love without knowledge is ignorance. But love based on, knowledge, based on truth, that's a real, genuine, powerful love. That's the goal of preaching for me. So I hope today you fall in love with God a little bit more. And I hope you fall in love with your neighbor, maybe not your neighbor neighbor, like your initial neighbor, unless you can, that's good. But I hope you're going to love people differently. And I hope today you'll take the lessons we learned from Samson and apply them to your life. If you've never trusted Christ Jesus, now is the time to do it. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Only by the grace of God can you be saved. And here's how it works. If you'll admit that you're a sinner, if you'll believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and He died in your place, if you'll confess and then rose again, and if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. So this morning, if you need the trust in Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. It's called a hymn of invitation or time of response. If there's something else in your life that I haven't even said but God is dealing with you about, I'm asking you not to go through those exit doors until you've dealt with God. And maybe it's simple, as simple as, Lord, I just need you to help me on my next step of this thing. Maybe some of you are held captive by some things. And today's the day that God is going to start breaking freedom, breaking you free in your life. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Let's stand together. Father, as we stand, we acknowledge that you alone are God. We acknowledge that you love us and you care for us. But, Father, we acknowledge that if we try to live life on our own, with our own wisdom and our own strength, Lord, it will ultimately lead us to a place like Samson found. Father, a very lonely, dark place. So, Father, my prayer today is that you would let each of us be overcome with humility to recognize your goodness and your kindness to us. And may we respond to that kindness with love back to you. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Let's sing together. Shall we?